Uh, we're in Romans 16 today. If you have your Bibles want to go ahead and turn there, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet one more time. This is where we began this series. For y'all that are just joining us, you're actually in week 32 of a 32-week short series on Paul's letter to the church here in Rome. Uh, Kristen, if you'll come on up here. Uh, Phoebe is one of the deacons in the church in Centria. She's going to be there in front of the church in Rome. Uh, not one church, many house churches. She's going to be reading it out loud uh, to these people so that we would have an opportunity to hear the word of God read, and then we will come and uh, enjoy it together. I'll be reading from selected part of Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help that she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the house, the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, and so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Pray that you would be lifted up in the preaching of your word. God, make us ready hearers, ready to listen, ready to receive from you today. Our time is yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. It is good to see you guys again today. Um, real quick, got a quick question. How many of you guys are preview people? You go to the movie theater, you like getting there early, checking out all the previews and knowing what's coming up. How many of you guys are in that camp? You're like there 15 minutes early. First one's, okay, I've, I've been having fun. Like the movies are opening back up again. We're going there. Uh, there's not a whole lot of people there, but I'm seeing you guys there at the theaters early. How many of y'all are more Fandango? I want my tickets ahead of time. I want to know the best seat in the house and pick it there. I want to plan this whole thing out. How how many of you guys would say that, hey, I like staying all the way to the end credits of a movie? Uh, we got a few people. Okay, do we have a few there? Okay, I'm seeing some of that. I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, some of you guys are there. I don't know if it's a moral conviction or not. Uh, I talked with Kat yesterday. She was like, yeah, Dr. Kreider, who is one of our favorite professors out at Dallas Theological Seminary, he, uh, he's like, this is a moral conviction of his. He's like, you do not leave early. 
And he always says this. He's like, you get to the movie, he's like, you watch to the very, very end. And I'm not talking about like Avengers end where, you, you know, you've got like a whole second movie at the end of those things or anything like that. He's like, no, 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 you wait to the end of the credits because like those are the men and women it took to come and to put together this movie that you actually enjoyed. And he's right about that, right? Like there's a lot of people that come into play. Like there's a lot of different people that come and, and work hard uh, for the sake of a good movie. I, I think it was Iron Man 2 or Iron Man 3 has the record. 3,700 different names at the end of the credits. Uh, that thing, I think it lasted like almost 10 minutes at the very end. Um, there was uh, over 500 unique jobs represented in that cast. 24 different special effect uh, companies a part of that whole movie-making process, but it takes a lot of people to come and put together a movie that you actually want to enjoy. Romans 16 is going to feel a little bit like the end of a great movie. This is Paul wrapping up a beautiful letter to the church here in Rome, and then he's going to come to the end, and it's just going to be name after name after name after name, like 29 names in all, 19 men, 10, I was doing my math wrong, 10 different women in this thing, and it's going to be all kinds of like weird names. It's going to be things like Eponidas and Andronicus and weird names like Kristen nailed in the pronunciation of them and stuff as far as any of us know, right? Um, it's going to be Philologus. I mean, where does that come from? It sounds like phlegm or something like that, but it's just like, it literally is a word, a name that means fond of words. In other words, the parents are like looking at a baby, they're going like, yeah, you're fond of words. You're a babbler, right? You're a talky baby, something like that. And so it's like, like that's the kid, that's the guy's name, Hermes. Go on to maybe become the maker of fine purses, I think. Um, evidently, narcissist 11, verse 11, like narcissist. Who comes up with that name with the kid? Like it meant the same thing back then that it means today. Do you think the parents are like sitting there kind of going like, why is it always going to be about you? I mean, they're just like, why are you crying so much? Why you need to be fed? Come on. Think about that. You're just like bitter about that. I don't know what's going on. But like, like that's all that this chapter is. 29 different names. Tiny bit about what they do. Kind of like the credits to a movie about how God's using very, very ordinary people in extraordinary ways to be his church and to launch the greatest gospel movement that the world has ever seen. And so this is a section that a lot of us are really tempted to gloss past, move past, kind of skip, and it's just a, see it as a list. This is not a list. These are names with faces of very real people that Paul had interaction with. He had relationship with them. I can imagine that he's not just like at the end of credits and he's kind of saying, hey, throwing out a few names, that he's actually weeping over these names because these are men and women that God has used not only in his own personal life, but to help build the foundations of a church that's continuing to bear fruit even in Dallas, Texas to this day. And so many of us look at a chapter like this and we're sitting there, okay, why would a chapter like this be here? Besides the fact that this actually is a letter from the Apostle Paul to real people in the first century, and that's how you wrap up letters here. I think there's two reasons, and I think there's two things that we're going to kind of see take place as we kind of go through some of these chapters here. Number one, I think that this is a chapter that's going to speak to you who feel like an afterthought in the things that you do in service to the Lord. I think this is going to, feel, this is going to speak to people that feel like, hey, I'm an extra in the real movie. Those are the A-listers. Those are the ones who are really getting it done. My contributions over here are an afterthought. They're not as big of a deal. They're this, that, and the other. And I think what it's going to do is it's going to come and Paul's going to simply remind you that a life given for the glory of God is never unseen and it's always deserving of honor. And I think we're going to see that play out and some of the stories play out here uh, in this text. The second thing it's going to do, and I hope that you're going to ask this question um, as we go through this text, I hope that you're going to ask this question. When the story of what God is doing in the world is all finished, and when the story of what he's doing in the church, not only in Dallas, Texas, but America, all around the world, like when that story is all done, 
Will I find my name in those credits? Not the Lamb's Book of Life, not Am I Saved, but will I find my name in those credits? Or will I be found in those pews with popcorn in my hand, enjoying a story that I was invited into all along? This whole chapter is going to be filled with men and women who gave their lives to the mission of God, all for the praise and the glory of his name. And so he begins with some honor here in, in, in verse 1. He begins talking about Phoebe, the woman who is there reading this letter out loud to the church. Again, not one physical gathering in Rome, many different house churches going around. And she's coming from a, a, a church in Centria, which is the south tip of Greece. Paul entrusts her to come and to bring the gospel, this letter, to these churches to read it out loud, to answer any questions that may be there. And he simply says this, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. In other words, like, I present to you with honor. That's what the word I commend to you means. I present to you with honor. And he calls her our sister Phoebe. I love the term of affection that he's using right there because this is what he's doing. This is saying, hey, she's not my daughter. She's not less than in any stretch of the imagination. This is my sister. I am her brother. She is my sister in Christ. And she's laboring in the gospel in the same way I'm laboring in the gospel over here. Never forget talking with a ministry leader here in Dallas, a female ministry leader that I respected tremendously a number of years back. We were talking about the tension that a lot of men and women often face in working together in ministry, how difficult it can be in some places in the church. And, and, uh, and she always said, she said this, she goes, Aaron, you know, one of the things that I've always valued is when my brothers come and they treat me like a sister. That's it. Like if they could just see me as a sister, not a less than, not a greater than, but just see me as a sister, treat me as a sister, take Notice of me as a sister. Value the work that God's doing in my life as a sister. That's all I've ever wanted is to be treated as a sister. Paul says the same thing of Phoebe. She is our sister here in Christ. Talking with Kat a little while ago, she was talking about Warren Truesdale, our youth minister here, our junior high minister here at the church, and honoring him, saying one of the things that I love about Warren is that he treats me as a sister in Christ, taking interest in what God's doing all around here treating me as a sister. This is what Paul's doing, honoring his sisters in Christ, lifting her up in a number of different ways. He continues and he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. And then he describes her as a diakonos. He says this, she's a servant, which is a, it's a deacon. She is a, she's a diakonos. It's someone who's sort of a servant leader here in the church in Centrea. I love the way A.T. Robertson uh, defines this in the Help Word Study Dictionary, but he says that a diakonon properly means to kick up dust. This is the image that it uses. It's someone who comes and kicks up dust. It's someone who's feverishly working, feverishly serving. And in their serving, they're coming, they're, they're just kicking up dust as they go. Isn't that a great way to describe a diakonon, a deacon, a servant leader in a church body? I mean, this is who Phoebe is. I remember a little while ago, I was talking with a recruiter for Sewell Automotive. It's a company I worked for a long time ago, way back in the day for a short amount of time. But I was talking to him about their interviewing process. And he goes, this is what we're looking for in our sales staff at Sewell. We'll bring him into an interview process and we'll intentionally make him sit outside the general manager's office for a little while. And during that time, they don't know it, but we're just watching him. We want to see what they do. And he goes, this is what we do. We want, we want to find the person that's essentially kicking up dust. The person that can't sit still that's supposed to be waiting there, but while they're waiting, they're standing up looking around trying to find something to do. He's like, we love this person. They're doers. These are people that put, they don't just say the right things, but they come and they put action behind their words and they're doers. They're kicking up dust. This is how Paul is describing his sister Phoebe here in this text. He continues on and says that she's serving in the church in Centrea, which means there's a lot of specificity to what she does, meaning it's likely she had maybe an official deacon position there, something like that. We don't really know for sure exactly how that played out. 
But here's what he tells the church to do. In verse 2, he says, Welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. And so this is who Phoebe is. She's not just a sister. She's not just a deacon, but she's actually a patron of many, not only of Paul, but of many other people uh, as well. The word there is prostasis. It's a word that literally means a female guardian or protector or a helper uh, in some sort of a financial sense. And so we're not, don't be thinking Captain Marvel here or anything like that, not kind of that protector, but uh, a protective provider, someone who's using their financial means to come and to support the ministries and the different things that are going on around the church. One commentator wrote about her, uh, that patronage was a social system that was pervasive in the first century Roman Empire. They were typically influential and independently wealthy people. And so it seems like Phoebe was someone who used her wealth in support of Paul and many other people. This is Phoebe, our sister in the Lord, a deacon, a diakonos, a patron to Paul and to many others. There's no mention of a husband in this text, which means that at least at this point in her life, maybe she was at some point in the past, maybe she's not now, but at least at this point in the, in the story, she's not married. In other words, she's one of these single people that understands that my, my value and my purpose, it does not begin when I say the words I do. It's not attached to a status or someone else or a time in my life that I'm living right here that purpose and value begins long ago and it's attached to the fact that I'm made in the image of a, of a value-giving God and, and I've given you purpose. And this is a woman who in this time in her life is saying, you know what, I may not be married, maybe I was at some point in the past, maybe I never was, maybe my dream came true, maybe it didn't, maybe it was never a part of my dreams. But she's saying, none of that matters because I'm here to serve Jesus. I'm here to serve him, give all of my life, all of my affections, all of my attention, they are his. And whatever I can do, it's all for him. And so this is Phoebe, all in for the praise and for the glory of his name. No mention about how she made her living, no mention about how she specifically church, served in the church. All we know is whatever it looked like, it was enough for Paul to come and say, yeah, you guys need to welcome this woman in a way that's worthy of the other saints that you've welcomed in the past. Do whatever it is that she needs you to do. And so one of the things we're going to see play out here, hello, um, one of the things we're going to see play out here, not only in this chapter, but all throughout the rest of, uh, uh, even in Phoebe and in the rest of this chapter right here, uh, it's one, one commentator called, uh, this is the inevitable result of the first 15 chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans being believed. And he says, like, this is one of the things you're going to see in this entire list of people right here. This is the inevitable result of 15 chapters of incredible gospel theology, all of the implications of what God has done for us in life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of that is the, all of 16 is the implications of all of that being believed. How can it not, right? I, I mean, Paul's already gone into the details of the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying that, you know what, you are, uh, God is righteous, you're not. His righteousness can become your own simply by faith in him. I mean, this is the beauties of what he's talking about in the first 11 chapters. He's gifted us his righteousness through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's made us brand new, he talks about, chapter 5 and chapter 6. He's brought us into a brand new family of faith. There's nothing that you can do to separate you from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord, chapter 8. Right? You believe all of that, you get all of that, and then you pick it up in 12, and the new life that's right there, all of the implications of living your life as a sacrifice unto him, Loving not only your friends, the people that are like you, but your enemies as well. You get all of that. And chapter 16 is going to be the result. 29 names of men and women. Some of them are going to be rich and some of them are going to be poor. Some of them are going to be Jews and some of them are going to be Gentiles. And we're not talking Gentiles. Gentiles are the rest of the nations, the rest of the world. 
We're not talking about a, a specific concentrated group of people. We're talking about people all around the world at that time, Middle Eastern people, people from Asia, people from Africa, people from all parts of Europe that are going to be growing in, at this point in time. All of them are going to be all in for the praise and for the glory of his name, simply because at some point in their past, they'd met Jesus and he had changed their life. And so this is what we see here. This is Paul. This is, this is Paul commending Phoebe. And we see this Phoebe is a person who serves and leads in the church. Why? Because this is who Jesus is. This is the God that she serves. This is what she's seen in him. He's a God that came, took on flesh. And then he said, I, I came not to be served, but I came to actually serve and to lay down my life as a ransom for many. This is who Jesus is. This is what he does. He's a servant leader. He came to lead by laying down his life. This is how Jesus is. John chapter 13, we see this beautiful scene where he gets down on his hands and his feet and he starts washing his disciples' feet, which was as gross then as it is now, actually grosser then than it is today. But this is how Jesus works it. He, he, he gets down and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. Go and do the exact same thing. That did not happen. Right? Typically, servants would do that, not rabbis toward their disciples, but this is the way that Jesus is. He is the Jesus church that comes and he touches lepers, right? When no one wanted anything to do with them, they, they come into the community and the rest of the community is pushing them to the outskirts saying, I want nothing to do with you. And Jesus says, I want everything to do with you. And he touches them and he heals them. This is our Jesus, okay? This is our Jesus, right? He came to lead by laying down his life, by serving the people of his creation, this is the Jesus who came and took a bleeding woman and said, you can touch me and I will, I will heal you. This is the woman who welcomes the blind and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal your in, uh, infirmities. Right? This is the God who comes and lays down his life, who condescends from heaven, takes on flesh, and then lays down his life to serve us all. This is the same Jesus who says, sits there at the right hand of the Father and is now interceding on our behalf. This is what the scriptures say right now. He is seated on his throne and he is still interceding on our behalf. Church, this is the God that he is. In other words, he is still serving us. And so Phoebe serves because she is serving a God who, that's what she's seen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is, this is all chapter 16 is. Men and women who are all in for the praise and the glory of his name because they've seen that lived out in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying right here is welcome this woman honor and greet her as a sister in Christ because a life spent in service to God and in service for the praise and glory of his name is a life worth honoring. And so I hope that as we go through some of these lists and you see some of these people that, that God would stimulate something inside of your mind to bring faces to your mind, people that went before you, laid the foundation for you that you can go and extend gratitude a little bit later on today. It was just simply, I was thinking about Connie Simmons and Ellen Simpson in the first service, 30 years, faithfully serving the same Sunday school class and investing their lives for 30 years in our young children's ministry, week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week out, faithfully giving their lives for the praise and for the glory of his name. I'm thinking of Ellie Langston, longtime faithful servant of the church, leading in our church body, Circle One, our after-school program that meets there after school in, in the middle of the week, laying down your life for the flourishing of other people and for the praise and for the glory of his name. I saw Wendy Howard here a little bit earlier. Just constantly serving. Everywhere we go, you were there and you were serving and laying down your life. This is a deacon. This is someone who is laying down their life in leadership and giving it all away for the praise of his name. I'm thinking of Evelyn Babcock, who's probably watching online today, dealing with treatments, faithfully serving, week in, week out, never once a name shown, never once any highlights, never once anything like that. You're Phoebe's. You're Phoebe's. 
People that are in the credits that God is using to help create the, and, and to write the greatest story that the world has ever known. His gospel, his goodness, his mercy, his holiness being spread to the ends of the earth. And what Paul is saying is that a life that is spent in service to the king, for the praise and for the glory of his name, it's never unseen and it's always deserving of honor and thanks. He keeps going in verse 3 and he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila and other places in Scripture, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. I love this couple. Uh, we read about them in a number of other places, Acts chapter 18, but this is an active, active couple. This is a couple that's all over the place that has given it all for the praise and glory of his name. This is essentially a tent-making couple. They're nomads. Um, they're a missionary church-planning couple who essentially risk everything. Not only for Paul's life, but for the sake of the gospel. It's what he just says in there, here in this verse. They are my fellow co-workers in Christ who risked their necks in order to save my life. This is a couple that's doing it together. This is Team Proquilla, right? This is what they do. They are together in this thing. And they are serving faithfully the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love hearing some of their story. They're all over the place. Acts 18, we find out that they, they began in Turkey before they move uh, and they head over to Rome. Where they get to Rome and they plant a, a house church. We know that somewhere around 50 AD, Claudius is the Roman emperor at that time. He kicks out all the Jews of the Christian believing community at that time. He fought them busybodies. He thought them a threat to his rule and reign. Kicks out for a period of five years all the Jews and all the believing, a lot of the believing Christians at that point in time. So Priscilla and Aquila, they go off from there and they go to Corinth. And they plan another house church there. This is where they meet the apostle Paul. Paul comes in and moves in with Priscilla and Aquila, a very hospitable couple. Uh, at this time, they move in together. I don't know if they teach Paul the tent-making trade or else they go into business together or something like that. God uses Priscilla and Aquila at this point in time to go in to, be disip to disciple a guy named Apollos, if you remember reading about Apollos. Apollos is one of the great preachers and evangelists in the first century. And we find out about Paulus, that he's out there preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he doesn't fully understand it. It says that he only understands the baptism of John the Baptist at this point in time. And so Priscilla and Aquila, being further in the faith than Apollos is, they both come together and they are discipling Apollos, whom God uses to bring about unbelievable renewal in his church in the first century. This is who they are. First century Corinth, they go and they plant another church together. From there, they go on to Ephesus. You remember reading about Ephesus? This is one of the greatest churches I think we can read about. A little bit later on, they're going to have a pastor named Timothy, as in like first and second Timothy. Um, kind of an awesome pastor, I would think. They got an elder board of John the Apostle. Bainham, I don't know what you're doing, bro, but like this guy's writing gospels right here. I mean, I, right, it's first and second, third John epistles right there. Uh, Revelation. All right, this is the elder board and that church. And so they sit there and they invest in it and they build it all up. And then they say, okay, you're great. Now it's time for us to come back to Rome. And they come back to Rome and they plant another church after they're allowed back in this time. And they continue to serve in this church and this gathering of people over here until, and, until they're eventually uh, mur martyred uh, for continuing to preach the gospel when people were trying to shut them down. Church, like this is who they are. Like they're all in for the glory of God taking risk after risk after risk after risk. Church, like, where would we be if we always played it safe? Where would we be if, if we never were willing to take the risk that God is calling us to take? Where would we be if this was a couple that would never open up their home to the Apostle Paul or to other people to come in for fellowship? Where would we be without the church in Rome, without the church in Corinth, without the church in Ephesus, 
which God used to come to stimulate this incredible movement which we're still benefiting from to this day. Where would we be apart from the risk that God has called us to take? Hebrews is going to say that a life of faith, it is a life of risk. Because faith is a conviction about things unseen which compels you to go and to do and to be and to jump and to build and to give and to love all for the praise and for the glory of his name. And Hebrews goes on and talks about like all these different stories. Church, like where would we be if Noah never took the risk? Like where would we be if some of these patriarchs, they never laid it all out for the praise and glory of his name? Like can you imagine like God comes and tells Noah, I want you to spend a sixth of your life building a giant boat for a flood and for a storm that the world has never seen before. And you want to talk about risk? Can you imagine if he got that one wrong? He gets to the end of his days and he's like, I, babe, I, I don't know how to explain. I thought God told me to build a giant boat. My bad. I, I was wrong about that, right? Like he's doing it all alone. Everybody thinks he's absolutely crazy for doing this. Like Abraham had to pack up his entire family and go to a land that God hadn't even showed him yet. He says, no, 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 you walk by faith first. I will give you the specifics later on. Like where would we be if we were people that never laid out or that never walked according to risk? Like who would we be if if all we did was play it safe all the time? David looked like a 15-year-old Justin Bieber when Goliath made Shaq look a child. That was the scenario that was going on. Like where would we be if he never took that risk? Esther living in an evil king's home while she begged for the lives of her people. Paul was constantly being persecuted everywhere he went, yet he still wrote, I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared to the glories that are still to come. Church, where would we be if we only played it safe? I love the way John Piper talks about it. He says this, he says, the entirety of the Christian life, it is a call to risk. He's like, you either embrace the risk that God has called you to take or you completely waste your life. I'm thinking of Cameron and Caitlin Mullen, some missionaries that were sent out from our church body probably, uh, I'm guessing it's probably about 14 years ago at that time. Caitlin was an elementary school teacher. They were a young couple. He was a seminary student at Dallas Theological Seminary. They were attending here at Dallas Bible Church. And she's realizing that I've got a whole classroom full of students that are largely a refugee community. We have a large refugee community here in Dallas, Texas. And she's coming and she's realizing they didn't have the resources. They didn't have a lot of the support system at home to come and to flourish in the classroom. And so she's taking all of her homework and bringing it to their apartment complex. And she's there looking around realizing, okay, this is a very different world than the, than the world that I've been able to grow up in. And she starts hanging out there after school is done, tutoring her students. And then meeting the families, meeting the kids, meeting the extended family helping them get along. She goes into the apartments and realizes they don't have beds, they don't have couches, they don't understand how to use the refrigerators. They've been living in in refugee communities, war-torn, war-savaged areas their entire lives. And now they're placed here in Dallas, Texas. And at that point in time, God starts stirring and says, I want you to quit your job and I want you to start a ministry. Did I mention that Cameron was a full-time student at Dallas Theological Seminary, which means broke, right? Absolutely broke. This is nobody's dream, and in the middle of that time, God says, no, leave it all, trust me, walk by faith, take this risk, and I'll tell you today, 15 years later, probably the most influential and largest refugee outreach in the city of Dallas, Texas today. Like, where will we be if we never took the risk that God was calling us to take? 
Like where would we be without Kyle Martin? Constantly out there on the streets, sharing his faith day by day by day by day, calling us to go and engage, calling us to remember the, the great commission, this, this mandate given to us by Jesus to go into all the world, to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like where would we be if not for people that were willing to risk it all for the sake of his glory every single day? I'm thinking of Kinder giving it for our country every single day. Man, just laying it down. Just laying his life down and then coming back and saying, you know, I'm going to lay it down for the men of our church. Just, just I'm going to lay it down constantly and just risk it all just, just so that they would be lifted up and that he would be glorified in the end. What Paul's saying today is anyone who's willing to risk it all for the praise and for the glory of his name, like they're worthy of honor, they're worthy of respect. And I see you because there's nothing that you can do for the praise of his name that's ever unseen. He keeps going and he says, greet him, honor him. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first to convert in Asia. Church, can you imagine how difficult it would be to be the first in Asia? Some of you, some of you know, you, you know how hard it is to be the first. Some of you are the first in your family to believe. Some of you are the first in your street, the first in your workplace, the first in your friends, the first in your high school, the first in your college experience. The first in your orbit. Like, you know how hard it is to be the first? Like, can you imagine what it would be to be the first convert in all of Asia who's following Jesus saying, I'm in with you. I'm following you. No matter what anybody else thinks, I'm with you. Like, you, can you imagine how difficult that would be? Joby Martin's a pastor out in Florida. He talks about one of his favorite seminary professors. He shares the story of when he was much younger in 1961. He was a senior pastor in the Deep South. He was holding a revival at that time in the middle of the civil rights movement. And they're having a massive revival in their church, massive altar call. People are coming to the front left and right. People responding to the gospel. He's baptizing them, people coming to faith. There's an African-American woman who comes to the front. He welcomes her and embraces her, prays with her to receive Christ, baptizes her that day, welcomes her as a member, loses three quarters of the congregation of his church that day. Nasty hate mail afterwards. Rocks through his window, children threatened. And he stands in front of the class and he goes like, you want to know how hard it is to be the first? You know how hard it is to be the first to do what God calls you to do? The first to act in righteousness when people around you don't understand that this is righteous. Some of you are in high school, like you know how difficult it is to be the first. To follow him in all of your relationships, in purity, in the things that you look at, the way that you talk. The way that you honor, value, and love other people in ways other people don't when they're canceling and destroying, ripping down, tearing apart. Like, you know how difficult it is to do that. Some of you are there. And what he's saying is like, you who are there, who are among the first, and, and you are faithfully tracking with him, following him, no matter what, it's a life that's worthy of honor and respect. And I see you because there's nothing you can do for the praise and for the glory of his name, which is ever unseen. And he just keeps going from here. This is the entire list. Greet Mary, who's worked hard for you, he says. Persis is described the same way in verse 12. A couple other ladies in this text kind of describe the same way. We don't know the specifics of what that looked like. We don't know how it plays out. Paul uses the exact same word in 1 Thessalonians when he says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who labor, who work hard, is what the word actually is there, among you. People who lead, people who care for you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. 
Theologian Abraham Kuyper says this. He says, church history seems to suggest that Mary and Persis were evangelists who were employed in making the gospel known in the same way as the Salvation Army used women back in the day. These godly women exerted their influence in every possible way to aid Paul in making Christ known. Whatever personal gifts or means they possessed were dedicated to the Lord whose saving grace they had experienced. Paul thus commends them for their sacrificial and untainted service. I'm reminded of what Jesus said when a man comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, uh, what's the greatest commandment? I've only got so much capacity, right? Can you just nail it down to like one thing for me? And you remember what he says? He says, you want one thing? Here it is. Love the Lord your God. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself if you want to. You want to go a little bit deeper, a little further. Like these are women that are sitting there kind of going, yeah, I'm there. Not just my heart, not just my soul. All of my mind, all of my strength. It's yours, God. You can have it. All of my strength, all of my fervor. I'm going to be kicking up dust. I'm going to be serving you all the days of my life. You are that glorious Like these are women that get the beauty of the gospel. They get how unbelievable our God is that he would come and he would lay down his life for our flourishing. They're going, I'm all in for him. My life is laid down. And Paul's just saying like, yeah, these are women that just worked hard in the Lord. They laid it down. Church, you know church work is hard. It ain't easy here. And some of you are out there. You are serving. You are opening up your doors. You are hosting people in this week. You're hosting all these incredible counselors. They're going to be laying it out this week for our kids. Y'all are going to be jumping up and down. And your shins are about to be splitting. And you're going to be crying out for help. I remember those times. I'm sitting there in club. And I'm jumping up and down. And like literally the legs feel like they're about to fall off at that point. And I remember sitting there over and over again saying, Lord, okay, this is Sunday night. The kids just got here and it's a brand new week. How am I going to make it at the end of this week? And I would actually pray and say, Father, fill me with strength to get me through this week. And it's exactly what he does. These are men and women who come and they work hard in their dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like this is exactly what he's talking about. I'm thinking about Don and Butch Freeland, who you just heard of their story a little bit ago, always opening up their home. I'll tell you, when we were doing elder interviews a little bit earlier, one of the main questions he had was, do I still get to commit my time to going and doing mission work overseas? Or do I have to come back and be a part of a board meeting or something like that? This is his question. Like, do I still get to go visit the missionaries? Do I still get to go lead our Guatemala team? Do I still get to go do these things over here? I'll tell you a fun story. When I first started here six years ago, uh, I already knew Don and Butch's reputation. They were, the, they were the couple that I knew to call when I was getting these calls and these emails from random people in our community saying, hey, I, I have no place to stay. I'm a wife who's going through a horrific divorce over here. And I have no support. I've been kicked out. I don't know where to go. Like, I knew I could call Dawn and Butch, and I did on a number of different occasions. And they said, yes, we bring them into my home. And they loved them, and they cared for them, and they nurtured them, and they let them stay for a long time. And they've done that time and time and time again. That's what we're talking about right here. It's the Bainhams who are, who are inviting people into their life, in, into their lives. At the beginning of, the, of COVID, they're having a house church meet on the front lawn over here when we weren't gathering inside of our physical building. These are people that are having multiple groups inside their home, passing on the faith from one generation to the next. And what he's saying here is the people that give their lives, that work hard for the sake of the gospel, nothing you do for his praise and for his glory will ever, ever, ever be unseen. Every single bit of it is worthy of honor and respect. He keeps going and he just simply says, greet Andronicus and Junia. Oh my gosh. Um, My kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. Andronicus, male, Junia, female. This is a highly debated thing. I could get into details much later on. It says, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, 
right? In other words, whatever they were doing was so significant, it got them thrown in prison along with Paul. They're well known among the apostles. This is likely the 72 apostles that are sent out in Luke chapter 10. You can go look that up a little bit later on. Jesus gives them power and authority, sends them out. That's what a little a apostle is. They're sent out into the world. Uh, according to uh, Sandy Glant, they, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, she says this, Paul's committed to co-workers in Christ who endure even prison for the sake of the gospel. According to Eastern Orthodox and Oriental traditions, Andronicus was made bishop of Panania and preached the gospel throughout the whole of Panania together along with Junia. It says Andronicus and Junia were successful in bringing many to Christ and in demolishing many temples of idolatry. This is their reputation. The tradition holds that they were capable of performing miracles by which they drove out demons and healed many of sickness and disease. This would also be consistent with the authority given out uh, by Jesus in Luke chapter 10. But these are the people that went ahead of you, came to the faith before you. They laid the foundation for you. I am grateful personally for how Habecker, 25 years serving this particular church, laid this foundation of faithfulness long before I ever came on the scene. There are people in your life that went long before you came into the faith. They laid the foundation for you to believe and for you to walk in today. And what he's saying is, you who did exactly that. You who were sent out into the world doing whatever the things are that God called you to do. Those acts and those deeds are never unseen when they're done for the praise and for the glory of his name. Every bit of them are worthy of honor. Every bit of them are worthy of respect. And he just keeps going. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. I love 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been like a mother to me. Isn't that an incredible description? Wouldn't you love that to be said about you, some of you moms, some of you ladies at some point in time? That, hey, maybe I didn't have biological children, maybe I did, but like that woman was a mother to me when my mom wasn't around. I love that description. I'm thinking of Kelly Lawson constantly taking in foster children here in our church body, faithfully pouring our life and duplicating it in so many others around us, and then continuing to do that in our high school ministry when she's got little ones of her own, continuing to pour her life into the next generation. You're doing the exact same thing over here, Heather. And so it is just constantly being duplicated over and over and over again. I'm thinking of my mom. I come back a number of years back, and we're visiting my mom in Spring, Texas, and I meet these new neighbors on the street. And they're like, oh, you're Bev and Jim's kid? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's good to meet you. And all this, evidently all these new 30-something families have moved on the street. They go, oh, we love your mom and your dad. They're like our street parents. <laughs> and I'm like really glad that was happening on Knollview in Spring, Texas. And not anywhere. Anyway, but um, they're like our street parents. We're always over there. And they're making us dinner. And they're having us into their home. A little while ago, I called my mom. I was like, what, what are you guys up to this weekend? And she's like, oh, we're hosting a, a wedding in our backyard. I was like, what? Who does that? And, uh, and she's like, yeah, you know, Micah's friend, my brother's friend, who was here and had family out of the country, was going through tragic things. Yeah, we kept building a relationship with him, and he got engaged, and then we started discipling he and his wife, or he and his future wife. And they're over here all the time, and they asked us to come and to be a part of their big day that we could do it in the backyard. Can you imagine how beautiful it would be to say, yeah, that woman, she was like a mom to me. She just never stopped kicking up dust everywhere she went, just like serving and loving and pouring her life out for the praise and for the glory of her name. It's the dads that are doing the same thing. We're honoring them on this Father's Day. The ones who are saying, you know what, like, uh, you didn't have a father, but I'm going to come and I'm going to be like a father to you. And I'm going to teach you how to be a man who walks with Jesus for the entirety of their life. This is what he's talking about here in this text. And he's, all he's saying is, I see you, and what you're doing is worthy of honor. And this is how he wraps up his letter to the church here in Rome. 
There's a final section. He gives a few warnings. This is Paul kind of saying, hey, don't forget this. Don't forget about like the bad people who try to, who try to like get you off track and start believing a false gospel, 17 through 20. Verse 19, the same song you guys sing all the time, be excellent at what is good and innocent of evil. You guys still sing that one? The God of peace will students crush Satan underneath your feet. That's 19 right there. He gives a few more names here at the very end and he wraps it up and this is the entire chapter. All it is, church, is name after name after name. 19 men, 10 women with stories associated with their names. And all it says is things like Phoebe, yeah, she served. Priscilla and Aquila, man, they risked it all. Eponidas was the first. Mary worked hard. Andronicus and Junia, they were sent out. They laid it all out for the praise and glory of his name. Rufus's mom, she mommed when Paul had no mom around. Church, this is how a church gets built. This is how the greatest gospel movement in history gets launched. It's just men and women who are all in, co-laboring together in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, serving, risking, being the first, working hard, laying foundations, fathering and mothering, co-laboring together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, all for the praise and for the glory of his name. So let me ask you this question again, church. When the story's finished being written of what God's doing, not only in the church here in Dallas, but all around the world, will you find your name in those credits? And not in a, hey, look at me kind of a thing. I need to be front stage or anything like that. But will you be found faithful? Eyes fixed on Jesus saying, the entirety of my life, it's all for him. Or will you be found in the seats eating popcorn? watching a movie that you were invited into all along. Church, he's doing something. He's rebuilding, he's regathering, he's reconfiguring the church here in America as people are gathering together once again. The story's not done. His church moves on. His glory will continue to sink. Will you be a part of the work that God wants to do? My hope and my prayer is that all of us together, that we would see a season of ministry like none other. That from being starved from attention, being starved from relationships, people would regather. And we would catch a brand new vision for the work God wants to do, not only in this local body, but all around the world. As we come and we gather, we pour out our lives for the sake of his praise and for the sake of his name. And for you guys this week, I'm praying you do the same thing, that you would lay it out and that kids would get saved. Man, and these roots would begin. And they would grow up and look back and say, hey, that week at camp in the city, man, God got a hold of my life. Because that kid, Goober over here, poured his life into me. (laughs) Father, we love you. God, we praise you and thank you. We ask that you would do the work in us that we can't do for ourselves. Father, we ask that you would get a hold of our affections. Change them, Lord Jesus, because they're not all yours. God, would you change us? Would you mold us? And would you do a work here at Dallas Bible Church where we would be happy to give our lives away for your praise and for your renown? Pray for the next generation that they would come to faith, that you would add or number daily those being saved, that you'd add or number daily those who are taking brand new risks, taking brand new steps of faith, engaging the mission of God in new ways. God, add.